Thank you, Mike and Tito and the gang. Uh, all of you that are here to hear the message today, you're coming to support a family member or friends. Would you just raise your hand? I know we've got several here and appreciate your coming out today. Good job. Thank you. Eddie, I'm wondering, when I get to heaven, am I going to be able to speak Spanish and dance? If I could do those two things, I can chew gum and do that, but I can't speak Spanish or dance. So, uh, anyhow, glad to have you here, uh, folks, and uh, thanks again for the message, and uh, great job today. A little bit of a different flavor, and that's good. I hope that uh, you never know what to expect at First Baptist, and that's part of life. God will surprise you in life, I can guarantee it. Bernice Jenkins and Wallace Richards, Bernice Jenkins and Wallace Richard got married yesterday at the Camarillo Baptist Church in Camarillo. There were about 200 people at the wedding. It was a pretty normal wedding. Bernice said that uh, on the first date, Wallace actually proposed to her and scared her to death. But they began to date after that, or kept dating, and uh, last February, Bernice had a birthday, and she said after the birthday, love songs kept running through her head, and it was like an epiphany, and so she knew that she should get married. And here's what she said. In fact, she said, Lord, I've fallen in love with this man. Now, it was the second marriage for both of them. Their first marriages lasted over 60 years. Did I mention that Bernice is 95 years old and Wallace is also 95? So I want to encourage you today, if you'd like to get married and you've not married or something, I don't know. This couple, 95 years old, got married yesterday in a Baptist church, and it was a great wedding. They're both alive and lively and doing well. Um, Kind of fun, don't you think? I mean, you just never know what's going to happen in life. Two 95-year-olds fell in love at the retirement place, and got married. We are talking about springing into love. And for those of you that are here for the first time or guests or maybe haven't been here in a few weeks, we started off by talking about God's love. And then last week, we centered ourselves in that great passage, and we talked about how does love act, part one. Today is how does love act, part two. Now, we're going to look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, in the New Testament, if you have one of these Bibles in the pew, it's on page 175. 1 Corinthians 13. Last Sunday, we talked about how love does not act, and we said love does not, and we looked at a number of things that are listed there. In fact, in this passage, Paul talks about what love is not. Now, again, I want to remind us, Paul is writing to a local group of Christians. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And if we had lots of times today, we would start in chapter 1 and just kind of flip through the chapters because this was not a perfect church. And in fact, as Paul writes to them, uh, early on he writes to them, they're fighting with each other. There are divisions. And if your Bible has subject headings at the top, it'll say divisions in the church. And there was some jealousy over this pastor, that pastor. I follow this. I believe that. So there's lots of jealousy. As you get on in a little deeper... In uh, chapter, there's quite a bit on jealousy, and then in chapter 6, uh, there's some immorality going on in the church, and some people are actually 
acting out in sexually inappropriate ways. And so Paul spends a whole chapter talking to him about, here's the right way to act sexually, here's the wrong way, get your act together. Now, remember, he's writing to the church. He's not writing to Hollywood. And then you go on a little farther, and he finds out people are suing each other, people in the same church. They're in lawsuits. And Paul says, that's not good either. So he talks about that. So he writes about a number of significant issues or problems in the church. And then we come to chapter 12, and he says, you know, you're a very gifted group of people. Like Tito and the gang, you, they can sing and play well. And he says, some of you have got great gifts of music and others of other gifts. But you know what they were doing? They were bragging and kind of fighting about what are the best gifts. And so one said, you know, my gift's better than your gift. And so Paul begins to talk about gifts and says, God's given all of us spiritual gifts, and we're to use them in certain ways. But we're not to be competitive about it. And then in the middle of this, here comes chapter 12. And I summarized the first three verses. You remember I said, Paul says that without love, you're not a hero, you're a what? A zero. Without love, you're no hero, you're just a zero. And then he talks about, and he's got eight things he says that love is not. And let me just review them for you because we talked about these last week. By the way, I appreciate your comments and feedback. Several of you said, you know, you kind of made me miserable last week. <laughs> kind of made myself miserable, too, as I looked at this list of what love is not. And um, we saw things like love is not envious, boastful, or arrogant. <laughs> it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. I asked you to read 1 Corinthians. In fact, I said, if you would read 1 Corinthians 13 every day, that would be great. How many of you read it at least once you read 1 Corinthians this week? Great. Thank you. Now, how many of you would really like to do that this coming week? Come on, every hand go up. You you can actually cheat. If you get bored during the sermon, just read it right now and you'll you'll have it done. Now, last week I said when we come to 1 Corinthians 13... Uh, the first sermon I talked about springing into love is the fact that God is love and God is holiness. If you could only choose two four-letter words for God, one would be holy, the other would be love. And we talked about God pours His love into us. God gives us love. Uh, just as every life comes from God, love comes from God. Our, our love is come, our, the source of love is God. And you really can't love if God hasn't given you that love, if you don't have God's love. And so we talked about that. And I said to you, as you read these central verses here, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, I said, where the word love is, you could put in Jesus' name, because Jesus is God's love in the flesh. Jesus is God's love come down in a way we can really wrap our hands around it, understand it. And so you can read, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, and that sort of thing. Just substitute the word Jesus for the word love. Remember we said that? Did anybody try that? It's pretty good. And do it out loud. Several of you did. Now, I also said, read it one other time, and this time you're going to put whose name in place of the word love? Our name. And do it out loud. It doesn't really work if you're quiet. And so I tried to give you an example. I tried to be a good model, a good pastor, and I got my feelings hurt. Because I started reading, Steve is patient, Steve is kind, and Steve is not envious. By the time I got to the third word, everybody's laughing. Now, how do you think that made me feel? Still laughing. Well, uh, I'm over it, folks, okay? Because I love you. Uh, but try that. I, I'm serious. Try reading those central verses with your name in it, because you'll get the message. 
you know, that's worth more than all that I'm going to say in the next two hours. They told you we preach for two hours here, right, Mike? Yeah. They're, they're sleeping already. Get the Bible out and read 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, let's begin. We looked last week at eight negative statements. Love is not. We want to ask the question, we are asking the question, how does love act? And there are eight positive statements, and we're going to look at all eight of them this morning. So you should have a, an outline in your worship folder. I'd encourage you to pull that out and jot some things down as we go along. The first word, the first thing Paul says, love is what? Patient. Love is patient. Now, I also encouraged you that if you were studying 1 Corinthians 13, it's great to have a variety of translations and see how different translators have translated these words. And we're going to do a little bit of that now. The old King James Version begins, charity suffereth long. The word love and the word charity are the same word. In the Message Bible, it says, love never gives up. And then the uh, Cotton Patch Gospel. Any of you ever hear of that version? You can buy it. You can get it on the Internet. The Cotton Patch version of the Bible is an old southern translation. It was done by a man in the south, and uh, it's kind of fun. And he says in the Cotton Patch Gospel, love is long-suffering. If you're a gardener, you know about patience. You have to till the soil and get it ready. You plant the seed or the bulb. You hope for water or you water it, and you wait, and you wait. And then something grows. Love is patient. And then Paul says, love is kind. The second word he uses is the word kind. And he says in that passage, love cares more for others than for self. Love, another way to express kindness, it looks for a way of being constructive. Another paraphrase. How does love act? Well, in um, the gospel, Jesus actually answers that question in one place. He's talking to the disciples and others, and he, he describes God's love, and he uses this word kindness. That's why we're reading it. How does love act? In Luke 6:35, Jesus said this, But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he, that is the most high, now get this, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. (laughs) That's our word. Love is patient, love is kind. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. How much kinder is he to those who love him? Now, kindness is goodness. This word is also used, I don't know if you know much about wine, but the word is also used of good wine. Same word. In other words, if you were a wine drinker, you wouldn't want to drink wine that tasted like vinegar. You would want to drink wine that was kind or good or flavorful. It's good. Love is patient and love is kind. This is, Paul's really beginning with God's love. He's describing God's love. Paul later says in in his later life, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, I'm the worst sinner there is. He said, I was a blasphemer, I was a violent man, I persecuted the church, I'm the worst there is. But God was patient towards me and kind towards me until I came to salvation. And he uses the same word, God is patient and God is kind. That's the passive side of love and the active side of love. If you're standing in a checkout line and you, you know, we all would like to get out as soon as possible, at least I would. If you're standing in that line and you're patient, that's passive. When you get to the checker 
and you engage him or her in a great conversation. You smile, say, how's your day going? You're really nice. That's kindness. That's active. And so right at the outset, uh, Paul gives us more about love than we can probably manage, let alone the rest of it. But he says, love is patient and love is kind. They go together. It's the passive and active side of love, patience and kindness. How does love act? Well, love acts patiently. Love acts kindly. It's good towards others. In fact, God's been good toward you, right? And God's been good toward you even before you became a follower of Jesus because he extends his mercy to us. So love and kindness. Now, let's look at the third one. What else? Love rejoices in truth. Another way to say it is love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. First of all, this verse is set over against a negative. It says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. You know, there are some folks, when a calamity happens, when a bad thing happens to somebody, especially if it happens to somebody they don't like, how do they feel? Oh, they're glad that person got her just desserts. He got what was coming. And we're like, oh, finally, that devil got what he's due. And we rejoice. But the scripture says love does not rejoice in what? Wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth. Now, I don't know if this works for you, but in 1995, and I don't know why I remember this, but Senator Dianne Feinstein was a fairly young senator at the time. She was only a few years in the Senate. And a huge scandal broke out involving the senator from Oregon, Senator Packwood. He was a very, very powerful senator, one of the elite senators. And he chaired some prestigious committees. But it was found out that he was quite abusive, especially to women and especially to women in his own staff. And so the scandal built until finally Senator Packwood resigned in disgrace, went back to Oregon. Here's what Dianne Feinstein said at that time. She said, my dad always taught me to remember a man for what he did best, not what he did last. That's a gracious statement. That's very loving. I'm going to remember someone not for what they did last or worst, but for what they did best. That sounds like love to me. That sounds like rejoicing in truth. That sounds like love. Love rejoices in truth. When goodness happens, love cheers. When truth comes out, love rejoices. When a victory is achieved, love celebrates. Now, we come to four other words, and I'm going to put these together because Gordon Fee, who is a New Testament scholar, said this is a chiastic structure. These four words are like an X. And uh, if you follow along, an X has four points. You know, there's four ends. And in this case, probably the first and last word work together and the middle two work together. And according to him, he says it's possible that the first and last word are talking about the present, now, how love works today, and the middle two are about the future. Look at it with me like this. Um, You can see the first and last is addressing the present because Paul says love bears all things and love endures all things. And then the middle two may be about the future. Love believes and hopes all things. Now let's look at number four. Love bears all things. Uh, Would you read these scriptures with me? It says, love puts up with anything. And the next one is, there is love, nothing love cannot face. Would you repeat that? There is nothing love cannot face. There's a toughness to love, not a stupidness. There's a toughness. When the going gets tough, love keeps going. Love's like that. 
Now, he says love bears all things. It holds up under all things. He also says love believes all things. Love believes all things. I don't know. I think some of us are more prone to believing maybe than others. Some of us are skeptical about everything. But it's interesting, Paul says, love is a believer. Love believes all things. The one translation says, love trusts God always. Another says there's no limit to its faith. Another said there's no end to its trust. That's the idea. This is not saying that love always believes everything that it hears or is gullible. But it says that love is not a doubting Thomas. Love believes in God, and it keeps on believing in God. Now, love bears all things, believes all things. What's the next one? Hopes all things. Hopes all things. Now, I like this one. It always looks for the best. There's no limit, the Bible says, to its hope. Uh, A man named N.T. Wright said this, and it kind of caught my attention. He said, Christians are not people all dressed up with nowhere to go. (laughs) That's good. Christians or followers of Jesus are not travelers on the road to nowhere. Another version would say, we're not a ship sailing into the Bermuda Triangle. We have hope. We have the hope of salvation, right? The forgiveness now in this life. We have the hope of direction. We have guidance for life. God's given us the book. God's given us His Spirit. We have guidance for life. We have the hope of inspiration. The Spirit is within us. And as musicians come to lead us, it's a way to to close ourselves off to things that are distracting us and open ourselves to God to inspire and inspirit us, to fill us, as it were. Hope is inspiration. And we have the hope of celebration. God's here. God's helping us. And when this life is over, we're going to be with God. So we've got a lot of hope. We have the hope of that when we labor for Christ, our labor is not in vain. We have the hope that when we pray, we're not just talking to the lights on the ceiling here. There's a God who hears us and responds. We have the hope that our patient matters and we're, we're kind to someone. We have the hope that that little seed of kindness is going to grow. We have hope. And hope endures, Paul says. Love has hope. So how does hope How does love act? Love has hope. It bears up, it believes, and it has hope. Love lasts. Now, he's got the last one in this chiastic form. He says, love endures all things. Would you read these two with me? It says, it can outlast anything. There is no limit to its endurance. (laughs) If you've ever been in an endurance sport... You'll appreciate this one. Love endures. It hangs in there. Listen to a couple of other scriptures. Uh, Job was one who endures. The Bible says that, indeed, we call blessed those who show endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, a man whose life fell apart, but he kept the faith. Jesus is an example of endurance. The scripture says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, what did Jesus endure? The Bible says he endured the cross for us. First Peter says that if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. Love endures. It hangs in there. And then love never ends. Love never quits. Today as we gather, there are some of you I know that are 
facing some challenges in life. There are financial challenges. There are some facing employment challenges. There are some facing medical issues or surgery. Uh, and there are all kinds of challenges. There may be some relationship challenges we have here. At the conclusion of our service, we're going to have some people here that will pray for you. I think that uh, love prays a lot, too. And it continues to pray and be prayed for. And I encourage you to come forward with those. There are a lot of challenges that we face. And the Bible says love never ends. It doesn't quit. Now, I want to ask you... Um, I want to ask you whether or not you've opened your heart to God's love, because I think the source of love is God. And as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we open our lives and we say, God, I need your love in me. Have you done that? Have you started out with God? Because all that I'm saying about acting in love, I think if you don't have the source of love filling you with love, you're not going to then live out this chapter. It's just too big. So have you opened yourself to God's love? You could do that right now, you know, in a moment of honesty. You could say, Lord, I do need your love in my life, and I want to open my life to you. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I know you, you, you sent Jesus as the expression of your love, and you could trust Jesus right now. Now, I've done that, and I hope that you've done that. And if we have, then we need to keep looking to the source of love, God, as we follow Jesus so that we can live out these eight things that Paul has talked about, and love will never end. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now, I doubt that you have heard about John Cooper. But I want to tell you about John Cooper. Um, he died just a few years ago on Christmas Eve. John Cooper stood five foot five. He finished the eighth grade. He lived in Michigan, and uh, his goal was to be an onion farmer. And he started out having an onion farm and was hoping to actually be the largest onion farmer in the county. Of course, he needed a partner in that, so he found a good, sturdy young lady who was described as sturdy and sprightly. She was a farm girl. Her name was Marjorie, and he married her. A son was born to them. And then on November 1st, 1945, something happened that would forever change their lives. Some might say that death would have been a mercy, but there was no death. Marge was struck down with polio. And on that fateful day, she contracted polio, which put her in the hospital. Her little four-year-old son, Dale, would be taken to the hospital by his dad, and he can remember being held up to the window so he could look through to see his mom. Well, eventually, Marjorie came home, only she came home in an iron lung. And she lived at home in that lung. Now, who could blame John, her husband, for moving on? I mean, his wife could not care for their child. She could not care for their home. She could not be a wife to him. She couldn't help balance the books or do the laundry. She couldn't help with the onion farm, which he gave up. There was no sex. There would be no more children. And there would be no quitting. John wouldn't quit. John took his wife home, as I said, and lived with her for 40 years, four with a zero. And he cared for her in what he called her green Cadillac, the iron lung. For 40 years, he cared for her. He would massage her body so she wouldn't get bed sores. And did I mention there was no more onion farming? He had to give that up. 
When he was asked about his long devotion to his wife, John put it like this. He said simply, he was a simple man, I'm a Christian. We keep our promises. Wow. The son Dale grew up and went to become a, a, a work in a college or university. And uh, when Marjorie, Dale's mom, died in 1985, Dale tells that his dad had been trying to help alleviate her inability to breathe, but it just finally didn't work. So here's what Dale wrote. Quote, Mom took her last shallow breath, he says, and died. I shut the lung off for the first time in 40 years. For a few brief moments, the room was deadly quiet. Then my dad punctuated the silence. With eloquent, simple words I shall never forget, he simply said, Margie was a wonderful wife. That's how love acts. again the words of Paul written to the church in Corinth and written to us today. If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a clanging symbol or a resounding If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, But do not have love. I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, 
they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know completely, even as I am completely known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to come now to the Lord's table and celebrate God's love for us. This is the Lord's table, and we are going to break bread together. We're going to drink from the cup together, because Jesus taught us to do this, to remember his great act of love on the cross when his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. In Romans 5, Paul explains that sometimes an individual might die for another individual. He said that's rare. And he goes on to say that God has shown his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. And so this is the Lord's table, and I invite you to it. If you break the bread and eat it, you are professing that Jesus has died for you and you're receiving him as Lord and Savior. If you drink the cup, you're expressing that Christ has died and his sinless blood was shed for our sins. And I invite you to partake. I'll ask those who are serving to come forward at this time. And would you bow your head for moment of prayer with me and uh, a time of confession of sin and preparation for this moment. Lord, we're thankful to be called the children of God. We thank you that your grace is greater than all our sins. We thank you that you've given amazing grace to us. You've showed us mercy and kindness. You've been patient. Now, Lord, most of us in this room accepted you a long time ago, and yet... This past week, we've done things that we know we should not have done. We have not lived up to your standard of love. Uh, We may have been rude or irritated or proud or arrogant. We may have been unwilling to extend patience or kindness. Lord, we confess that to you right now. Uh, We're going to turn from that, Lord. We're going to try to live out love this week. We're going to aim at love. We're going to pursue love. We're going to make love our aim. And so today, Lord, we... We lift up our hearts to you. We confess our sins. We thank you for Jesus. And we ask you to help us live a life of love. In his name we pray. Amen.